Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 7-2-2023, and we're ready to continue our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. look to, to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have this morning with you. 
we <clears throat> we pray that as we open your word and our focus that you uh, have provided the spirit of truth who has taken the role to train and guide us into all truth and we thank you for that provision we thank you for choosing us <clears throat> in this to be in this age this particular particular age that we're in we thank you father so for so many things for the lord jesus christ to sacrificed his life for us and through his provisions of uh, propitiation and righteousness we have more than what we need to be justified before you father <clears throat> we thank you for your grace this church uh, uh, that we are able to come together and talk about difficult things even things that uh, many other churches dare to talk about. <clears throat> we dare to allow the spirit of truth to guide and lead us into those areas as well. So, Father, there are some things on our hearts this morning as we uh, think about those who are sick among us, those who are struggling in areas, some we know, some we don't. <clears throat> so, Father, I just will mention some names that have been called out. That would be Dave, his family, and his daughter, which she is going to reach a milestone tomorrow uh, in, in terms of uh, her birthday. So we're praying for her and her family, her kids, and, and for Dave and his extended family, Brenda and <clears throat> his brother. We're also praying for the Myers family. Father, you know all the challenges associated with... Uh, all that they're facing. Father, we pray that uh, whenever these things happen to us, that we can easily give those things to you. Also, um, we're praying for the Hurick family, <clears throat> for Dwight and his family, and you know what challenges may be facing them as well. So, Father, we're, we, we've also at, been asked to pray for the Haddon family, especially Christine and, and Kenny Jr., Father, we know Christine is <clears throat> headed for surgery tomorrow, and Kenny Jr. is in the hospital as we speak. We pray for Gail, who is the caregiver there, uh, asking for your intervention and healing in these areas. Guide the surgeons and those who are making decisions over their lives, Father. We pray for healing. That is our hope. We also pray for my dad, Frederick Presley Sr. Pray for his recovered health as well. Father, we pray for him in particular. Uh, that he uh, has, you have given him many years already, but Father, we're asking that you would continue to raise him up, Father, restore his health as well. <clears throat> but according to your will but also for Fred who's gone through surgery uh, we pray for him and his full recovery we pray for um, Brenda who is there as a caregiver as well and, and Father you know the things that are uh, she's challenged with medically as well so we're asking 
for healing in all of these areas and recovery in these areas and restoration, well-being for those of us. Pray for my family, for uh, my kids, and <clears throat> praying for my wife, uh, asking particular attention, and uh, for those four grandchildren that I have in particular, and for Cliff as well, that he continues to find gainful employment. Also, Father, we're <clears throat> praying for Mike Presley and his family this afternoon. Uh, well, Father, you know the challenges that he is facing. Father, there's just so many concerns. Everywhere we look, we see things happening and all around us in this world, which reminds us of the scripture. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you've given us this to help us orient our understanding to the realities of this world. <clears throat> In Mike's case, Father, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for uh, his whole family, Deborah, who is uh, also recovering from back surgery, and, and for his uh, daughter, Tanea, as well. <clears throat> we don't know all the details, but Father, you know every detail. If I fail to mention someone, you know them uh, perfectly. And Father, our, as you know, our hearts are concerned about our loved ones. So we pray for them. Uh, so, Father, as we think about the study that is before us, we pray for wisdom. Help us to see that the book here is not only just about grace and the way to live, but it is a treatise on this new age <clears throat> that we are living in and how we are not to allow these things that are, these doctrines of demons to come in and, <clears throat> and to dismant, dis or turn us aside from the truth. So we pray for wisdom, Father, that uh, the Spirit will continue to lead and guide us along the straight and narrow. So all of this we ask in Christ's name, amen. All right. So as you know, <clears throat> we've been studying in the book of Galatians. We're going to get right to it today. You have notes, and I'll just read some of the passages in Galatians to bring us to where we are. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it, then, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? <clears throat> we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in 
Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith and not, in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So this is where we are. <clears throat> we have notes. Now, whether we get there or not in our notes, well, that remains to be seen, but that's where we are. So we want to cover <clears throat> some of the thought here. Is I think it's Galatians 2.16 is where we left off. We just read that, so we won't read it again. <clears throat> so Galatians 2.16. I'm going to pick up at point F. Now, I know we're further along down the road, but this is in recap. Point F says, seeking to be justified by the law is opposed to having faith in Jesus Christ, even though this lie is among us today. <clears throat> so people think that God doesn't know the difference between a gift and a reward for some reason. They think that God is going to graciously just give them justification based on an obligation. In other words, they worked hard, and God, you ought to pay me with salvation. God, God you may be confused, but God is not confused. He's clear. Romans 4, 4, and 5 tells us, as the documentation, that God does know the difference and he means what he says with respect to grace. Point G. So, the subject is not about salvation. It is about living the Christian life. So why does Paul speak of faith in Christ as and justification? So, when we look at what happened in this scenario Paul is bringing up, he recognizes that it is not about a salvation matter. Although, uh, and the rest of the phrase reads, it's because they mixed the two subjects. What two subjects? Salvation and living the Christian way of life. Just as many have done today. Many have mixed these two subjects. This is huge. <clears throat> so, first of all, you've got to be saved. That's the first order of business. God is not asking you to conform to the law, to you know, discard sins and become moral so that you can be saved, that you will be worthy to be saved. He's not asking any of that to an unbeliever who is <clears throat> condemned, who has a sin nature, and who is dead to God, spiritually dead. He's not asking any... What could he possibly ask from a person who has all of those things from Adam. The only thing he could ask him to do is believe in his son. And if he believes in his son, he will receive spiritual life. He will There will be no condemnation. And <clears throat> he will be baptized by the Holy Spirit, wherein he is separated from his sinful nature. God fixes. He's going to even get a new resurrection body when it's all said and done. So, uh, there, so there is salvation as one subject. There is how do we live as those who are saved 
is another subject. But, but how we live as those who are saved does not bear on our salvation. Some people will succeed, and if they do in the Christian life, they will be rewarded. Some people will not succeed, and they will not be rewarded. God, God recognizes that. He holds rewards out for those who have the will to want to do what God wants us to do today as believers, who, to recognize this new age that we're living in and to uh, live our lives according to it. Point H, <clears throat> test yourself. Is your salvation tied to some moral standard? Are you saved because you behave as a Christian or a Jew? Uh, Philippians 3, 8, 9 is a scripture to look at. <clears throat> Let's read it. See how Paul saw this. What is more, he says, Philippians 3, 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Wow. <laughs> so if you're asking Paul how he felt about his previous life as a Pharisee, well, I think you just got your answer right there. 9 and 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the very verse I meant to read. That's in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. There it is. That comes from the law. There it is, Paul. You said it directly. I mean, what is your standing before God? He says, I don't want what I had before. He's telling you what he had before. He had a righteousness that came from the law. But he says, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's how you get it. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, not works. Not works. Certainly not the works of the law. So that's clear. So you can test yourself. Is your salvation tied to some moral standard? Do you think that if you fail living as a human being, if society tells you that you fail, and you might land in jail or wherever you land in society, maybe you're not in jail, maybe you just got all this money and you're sitting around thinking you've made it somehow. But if your success, spiritually speaking, if your salvation depends on some moral standard or, or law, then <clears throat> you, you have uh, a test to be able to see where your dependence is for your salvation. You could see where the Jews were. It was the law. Right? If, are you just saying, well, if, as long as I'm moral, God's keeping me saved. Then I got to be moral. I gotta do the right thing. I have to, I have to repent of my sins. When I do, I feel sorry. If I don't do that, if I don't maintain that, then I don't. I'm not saved. So point I: many, yes, many don't believe in eternal security today, and at the same time, they declare they are saved. They don't believe. They 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 talk about they're saved, right? Like they believe in Christ and they say they're saved, but they say 
if they behave a certain way, they can lose it. Now, I don't think anybody uh, who believes that they have salvation think that God will somehow fail them. That somehow, when it comes right down to it, he just doesn't have enough power to save people. Or maybe he saved enough people already, and he just doesn't have any more room to save you. I don't think anybody thinks that that's true of God. Especially when he tells us, whosoever believes in him shall not perish. But this clearly reveals that their salvation is tied to their works and not God's grace provision. So nobody ever thinks God will fail, but they think they might. And if they do, then they don't have salvation. Now some people will tell you, no, I'm not going to fail. I will never fail. But they still have a belief that their salvation is based on their works. Even though they don't think they will fail because they're going to do everything they know to do that was right. Romans 11.6 says, And if it is by grace, then it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So if you pursue a salvation... This is, with uh, with God based on works, that's not grace. You violate the principle that God has to give you salvation free because if he gives it to you free and you accept it as free, then you know that it didn't have anything to do with you. It was all the provision of Christ. But if you refuse to accept it as free, then you're telling God, that it is some of you. You might say, well, some of it's Christ, but the other part is me. As long as I hold up my end of the bargain, I'm saved. If I don't, well, I'm not. Yeah, this, is, this is harmful to grace. This is the only way you can, you can fail to receive grace. Well, you could just say, I don't care about what you say, and I don't want to hear it. Well, that's one way to fail. But when you hear God out and you say, I believe in Christ, well, you got to make sure that believe that when you say, I believe that that's not corrupted by works. Otherwise, you fail right here at Romans 11, 6. Point J. So we too, this is what the verse says, and you know, knowing that a man is not, a person is not justified by the works of love, but by faith in Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, right? So this phrase, so we too, in point J, even though they were born with the law in their culture, the only way they were saved was by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's Romans 3.22. So <clears throat> Jews know this. The, the Jews that were there and, and displayed this cultural obedience that, that they were... Uh, stuck in the mud of their culture, as we, we said it a lot of different ways, their religious training got the best of them instead. And, and they decided that they would put grace aside and behave in a way they knew was wrong. They knew it was wrong. That's the bad part. That's where you're stubborn in your soul. And you won't allow God to transform your thinking. Here's where, the, like Peter, he knew it. Barnab uh, Barnabas, he knew it. Paul, Paul knew it, but he didn't behave the same way those other Jews did. 
knew better. But they continued to refuse the stubbornness in their heart, continued to bow to the religious training, the culture that they were under. We can't behave that way. We have to follow what's right. Now listen, some of us are weak. I get it. All of us may be weak at times. And how we have to view this is they failed. Yes, they did. Acknowledge it. Failure is possible. Doesn't mean you lost your salvation. Doesn't mean God hates you now. Just means that you need to be correct when you come to God. And that the scripture does rebuke us and train us and reprove us, all that, for correction and instruction and in righteousness. That is, we're perfecting our walk when we come to this understanding. So the Jews knew it. It wasn't that they were like, well, we, we, have, we're, we're, we have some ambivalence about whether it's by grace or do you have to obey the Mosaic law. They knew that they weren't under the Mosaic law. And they were already behaving like that when they were around the Gentiles. But when they got around the Jews, they were like, well, this is like the old Lang Syne. You know, they pay, played this, you know, the, the stars and stripes and they, they came to attention and put the salute up. You know, like this is a knee-jerk reaction to them. Separate themselves from the Gentiles. That was their culture. And they had the law in their culture. And yet, it did not matter. Romans 3.22 says, it does not matter. I'm going to read it. It's worthy of reading yet again. Romans 3.22, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Wow, so you mean to tell me those dirty, rotten sinners... All they had to do was believe. They didn't even have the law. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to keep the law or know the law of Moses. All they had to do was believe. And they would be just as saved as any Jew thought he was. Well, remember, he thought he was, because you can't be justified by the works of the law. We just read that in our context of Galatians, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, even we too, we Jews, have been justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because nobody can be justified by the works of the law. All of that to say that Jews know better. Not all Jews know better, but these Jews knew better. They knew how they got saved. But the pressure on them to cave in to the fear, to separate themselves from the people who believed otherwise. Right? Some people in their family uh, would not believe in Christ and be saved. Some people, their relatives, may have been their bosses. You know, it, it could have been people in their lives, their uncles, aunts, that refused, and, and there was a rift already in their families by just taking the stand to say, I believe in the Messiah. But they refused to give up the Mosaic Law. Point K. There's only one way of salvation for all mankind. That's it. Now we get that from Romans 3, 3, 9. 
how do we know that? Because what should we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? I mean, the fact that we have the law, the fact that, the fact that we consider ourselves moral, the fact that we know what God's will is for us, are we any better? Do we have some special leg up before God? Do we know because we're moral, because we, we're doing our best to keep his commandments? What does Paul say? Not at all. For we have already made the charge, the declaration, that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. What does it mean to be under the power of sin? There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's all have turned away and together become worthless. There's none who does good, not even one. That's what it means to be under the power of sin. Not one. So, so the Jews <clears throat> understood that they had a way of salvation and the Gentiles, for them to be saved, they would have had to be circumcised and convert to Judaism. That's what the Gentiles... And what was Judaism in their mind? That you have to keep the law. That's, that was your justification. We already demonstrated that by the Philippians 3, 8, and 9 passage. We showed the dependency, the thinking that of their justification by the law. So, like I said, there's only one way of salvation, and that's for everybody. God does not equivocate. He does not change his righteous standards around because people feel like they have the law and they're closer to God than others. Nope, you're not. However, after we are all saved, now this is the second part of this, we, once we are saved, whether there are different callings with differing requirements to consider. Right? We're under the law, said the Jew, the, in the church, we're not under the law. The law is not our way of life. We don't go back to the Mosaic law and figure out how we should live. Although there are many Christian organizations today doing that, they're saying, well, you should be tithing, you should be Sabbath observance, you should be obeying the dietary laws, at least some of them. You should, and they could pick whatever and choose whatever they want. And all of their picking and choosing is to disregard the new dispensation in which we actually are. Yeah. So there are different requirements. Simply put, the Jews, when they were, if, if they would believe God for salvation, if they would believe in the Savior to come, they would be saved by promise. And was they weren't saved by the works of the law. So no person can be saved by the works of the law. No person. So that was key. In, their th in the thinking of all of this. So that was point I. If Jews are not justified by the works of the law, then the law, this is point I. <clears throat> if Jews are not justified by the works of the law, then the law or law keeping has nothing to do with our standing before God. And I say period. It's interesting I put a period there, but, the, but then I put an explanation mark. Yeah, it's, it's clear. Jews are not justified by the works of the law. They can't get salvation because of their calling that God has put on that nation. 
the nation Israel. But God has an expectation for them, and that is to believe in Christ. And they rejected Christ. So what does that say? So obviously, it's not the works of the law or law-keeping, right? It has nothing to do with our standing before God. Nothing, period, nothing. Romans 3.20 says such. Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Hence, the law is a minister of condemnation. The law is a minister of death, right? We become conscious of what we really are, who we really are before God. The law helps us in that regard. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's how you get it. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That means it doesn't matter anything about the law, period. M, point M. This verse says, no one can be justified by the works of the law. Three times. If you read it, knowing that a man, that a person, when he says a person, he's talking about the Jew. It's not justified by the works of the law. So we too have put our faith in Christ and are not justified by the works of the law. So they understood it, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, we Jews, we did this. Three times Paul had to say this. And I said, did you realize that? Did you miss it in verse 16 that he said this three times that you can't be justified by the works of the law? So why then? Are people today ignoring that and thinking in their head that uh, somehow they could be saved and yet they turn to their dependence on works of morality or works of the law as their justification before God. This one point must be understood. If you miss it, you can miss out on eternal life because you fail to receive the, the gracious offer of God to provide for all the problems that the bad news created. You failed. And God has told us in so many ways, in so many places, it, it should be a foregone conclusion, although we're stubborn, aren't we? We're very stubborn. And you think, if I read this one time, that would be it? No, it would not be it. Because I'm ha I'm, I can't tell you how many times I had to read it before I, it finally broke through to me that I'm wrong. Yes, me. Yes, Doug, you're wrong. You cannot be justified by the works of the law. When do you realize that? When you realize that, you realize that people are fighting a losing battle. Just like Lauren L. says, forever running but losing the race. Forever running, but losing the race. You're always running, always working, always Bible study, but the, the core principle that God has, you disregard it. It's just like I told you with Nicodemus. I'm sure he didn't come to Christ at night with, with, with the thought that he needed to be born again. He came to Christ by night because he was impressed by the fact that Christ was doing these wonderful miracles. And, and I'm sure he wanted Christ to drop some wisdom on him, but he had no idea 
that Christ was going to tell him, you, Nicodemus, you, Pharisee, religious teacher, need to be born again. You need to be saved, man. Never mind all this religious talk. You need salvation. That's the first things first. It'd be, it'd be like trying to plan for a baby college education and there is no baby yet. Now, I know we do. We plan for kids before they're born. And God did the same thing. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Yeah. But you got to be born first in order to experience all of these things that the, are prepared for you. You've got to be born again. That's for us. No getting around this. There's no two ways about it. It's just one way. And if people don't see this one way, God expects them to see it. He holds them responsible if they don't see it and adhere to it. And we are his witnesses. We have believed. We don't believe that it is uh, uh, some... In, some uh, encouragement to live a loose life to understand grace. We don't believe that. It says the grace of God teaches us to be obedient. It doesn't teach us to be disobedient. People still have their own will after salvation. That's why people can or cannot be rewarded. Let's move on to Galatians 2.17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ... We find ourselves among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So we, we've seen the problem the Galatians had. We've seen how uh, they were starstruck by the Jews and the religious people. Uh, lost objectivity. The other Jews that were there lost their objectivity and even though they understood grace, they were compelled to follow religious customs. I hope that's not us. I hope we under the fact that we have a good foundation and we understand grace, I hope we don't cave into the fear of religious people. And if we do, that we learn from that so that we be that we will be a better witness to God the next time that we are confronted. I would hope and pray that, that for this church that we have, because we teach the foundation here, for sure. That's not something that we gloss over or only talk about on the surface. We deal with the nuts and the bolts of why we're saved. We talk about what God has done in detail. So here we have the Apostle Paul. He can continues with this reasoning. So he says, but if, in seeking to be justified in Christ. Now, this first point is, but if. Let's look at this question from all angles. Suppose you are in Christ and seek to be justified. Now, first of all, if you're in Christ, that means you're saved. And when you're saved, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit in this dispensation. This is the only time you could actually be in Christ is in this dispensation. Right? Other dispensations did not have that available to them. Why? Because they weren't chosen by him before 
by the Father before the foundation of the world. They weren't chosen in Christ to be in him and predestined and adopted as sons, etc., etc. So, but now Paul is saying, okay, okay, so they want to be justified by the works so bad that we need to explore what is it, what would it look like for them if they were to be justified. This is like the push-pull type debater's technique. This is what I consider it, right? So a person pushing so hard, guess what you do? You just use his momentum to help him realize that he's wrong, right? You say, okay, well, okay, so suppose you want to be justified by the works of law. Suppose that we were justified, that we sought to be justified by the works of the law, and we're already in Christ. What would that look like? Right? Let's, let's think about it. So that, that's that reasoning, what I call the push-pull, right? It's sort of like, uh, there's some martial arts that use a person's force against them. So the person comes at you running, you sidestep him and, let, and run him into the wall instead, right? You, you, you can use their own, their own momentum against them if you know how to do it. Not that I know martial arts. Don't get me talking about martial arts, believe me. I don't know. But, but anyway, so... This is the point, right? They suppose you are in Christ and you seek to be justified. What would it look like? Often, is what the reasoning is, seeing the impossible, which it is impossible to be justified by the works of law, helps us see that it is impossible. Right? That statement sounds a little tricky, right? Seeing the impossible helps us see what, that it is impossible. And drawing it out. And this is what the Apostle is doing here. And this is what the Spirit of Truth is helping us to understand. That, okay, let's go down this side. Let's look at it from this angle. Let's look at it from that angle. Let's look at it from every way you can. And guess what? We're going to come to the same conclusions. That salvation is free. And, and the new way of life that God has in the church, this new dispensation, has nothing to do with the Mosaic Law. Nothing. So it was even the whole way of life we have was hidden from those who were in the Old Testament, those who have the law, the heroes of the faith, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, hidden from them. Now salvation's not hidden, but this is hidden from them. So we can't derive our spiritual life from the Israelite, it just is a different purpose that we have. It's, it's, it's not the same. So, first of all, like I said, they mixed both subjects. That's the only reason why we're talking about salvation, because they mixed both subjects. And we're saying that the foundation that we have in uh, of being saved is different from the foundation of living the spiritual life. It's, it, it was the big lie all over again what the Jews thought. You could be justified by keeping the law. Justified, they, they may have believed they were justified by Christ, but then some believe that if you don't follow through with your works, then well, maybe you weren't saved at all. Wrong. Salvation's by grace. We don't need works to prove to God that we're saved. If you don't need them, God is not saying you must have them. 
He's saying you, in fact, he's saying you don't, if you approach God with works, you will not be saved. The wrath of God will remain on you. That's not believing in Christ, trusting in, you're trusting in his work. So anyway, so that's the thought, right? So he's saying, suppose if, if it were true, but it's really not true, but what if it were? What if it were? Let's help us, let's go down this impossible road. Point B. This truth is foundational, and God expects us to make the proper application. God is reasoning with us and needs us to be reasonable. Right? You, you think about this, this argument that God is coming up with in Galatians, right? He's telling everybody, we've got a new dispensation here. Things have changed, and you're not keeping up with God. You're not keeping in step with God here. Things have changed. So this is a foundational truth. Not only is salvation by grace, but the Christian way of life that we have is also by grace. We didn't earn the fact that we get to do things uh, in this age or be the church. We didn't earn that right. All we did was believe in Christ. We didn't earn the right that God would choose us before uh, the creation of all things, that he would choose us to be in Christ. We didn't earn that. We didn't ask for it. We didn't even know it. It was hidden God. But we didn't even know that that was possible. We certainly didn't earn and we don't deserve it. It is not something. It is a sovereign grace that chose us to be here. So, not keeping in step with God. <clears throat> God's trying to reason with us. He's telling us through the, through the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was on the wrong side, now God put his feet on the solid ground. Right? Now he's, through him, God the Holy Spirit is teaching us. He's reasoning with us. And you would think, well, God, just tell me. Tell me what it is you want me to know. I'll, I'll just do it. I don't need to know why. Just tell me what you want me to do. Command me, God. We could say that. But God is saying, no, I need you to understand. I'm going to reason with you so, so that when you understand what I understand, you know why you're lost, the bad news. You know how you're saved, the good news, the provision provided in Christ. And he's t so he's telling you the why of it all and the justice, the kind of justice that he sees as justice. He's reasoning with us. He needs us to understand that this is reasonable. Now, I know when I talk about reasonable today, <laughs> we're in a, a place where Satan is attacking the reasonable part of man. He's breaking down. Oh, so you say this is reasonable? We say it's not. So Satan is attacking that, but in reality... God still expects us to be reasonable. How, how so? It's because he has inside agent, the Holy Spirit, helping us come to the realities of what the gospel is and what the spiritual life is. The scriptures are there for reproof, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Witnesses are there. And God, the Holy Spirit, is on the inside He's not indwelling them, unbelievers, but
but he's on the inside trying to compel unbelievers to see the true issues of the gospel. But for believers, he's the spirit of truth, leading and guiding into all truth. Now, they may resist him by grieving and quenching him, but he's still on the job. Point C. So, but if we, but if, in seeking to be justified, that is by the law, in context, if you look at verse 16, that's where this came from, right? To know that a man is just, just, not justified by the works of the law and so forth. And so I don't have to repeat the whole 16 because it's long. <laughs> but he's saying, if, seek, if in seeking to be justified, now, in seeking to be justified, how would we be seeking? By morality or some other law or some standard that we deem is acceptable to God? When God says Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Right? So this is nothing to do with us. It's to do with what God provides. So if we're seeking to be justified, and I'm saying what in context means, that means to be justified by the law. Right? What's going to happen? But then it goes to the next point. We're seeking to be justified in Christ, which means you're saved. This is a person who is not only saved, but has gone through the baptism of the Spirit, is in a new dispensation. How do you get in Christ, by the way? How do you get to be in Christ? Can we just choose to be in Christ? Nope. Nope, we can't. God is the one who chose us in him before the creation of the world. And how do we get into Christ in time? We are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's how we get in Christ. And if you are in Christ, if any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the new creation has come from all those years from when God hid this new creation within himself. If anybody's in Christ, if they've been saved and simultaneously been baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, then they're in Christ. The new creation has come. No doubt about it. So uh, that, that's an important part. They're seeking to be justified in Christ. Why would someone do this is my question. Why would someone who's in Christ already seek to be justified in Christ? One of the reasons why is they don't fully understand God's standards or the bad news, right? They're a little fuzzy on this, right? They're a little fuzzy. They may not understand. Philippians 1, 3 through 7, but I want, want to just show this one passage here, which is interesting. Paul is talking to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And so notice, this is how, when, how often we should pray. If we, I'm just using this, this, I know this isn't the subject, but I'm just saying, if we find ourselves thinking or worrying about somebody, then that's when we ought to take it to God in prayer. Whenever we are anxious or worried or whatever, take it to God in prayer. 
That's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to sit around in that. We're worried and frustrated and have anxiety and, and wondering and throwing up endless scenarios of what could be. Take it to God in prayer. Now, this is that was that's a negative sort of because we're we're saying I'm worried, but on this verse, the principle is there. I thank God. I thank my God every time I remember you. It didn't say every day I got it on my list to pray for you. He's saying whenever I think about you, I thank God. That's what he's saying. I'm saying the same principle should apply to when we pray for others as well. Point, not point, but verse four. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, notice the work, all of you share in God's grace with me. They, sh they, they are right on the same page as Paul. And that's why it says <clears throat> in, at the end of this chapter, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and, and now hear that I still have. So the, the, they were right on the same place with Paul, on the cusp of the new message, the gospel, the new message, and, and they were receiving persecution in this world as a result of it. So, so let's look, continue point number D. Why would someone do this? Well, they don't fully understand God's standards and the bad news. Point E, or they are impressed with that what we call old-time religion. Right? Give me that old-time religion. You've heard that song. They mix it up as good enough for grandma, it's good enough for mama, daddy, it's good enough for uncle, that it's good enough for me, it's not good enough for you. God has revealed the mystery. He has a plan. And if that old time religion does not include the father's plan, then it ain't good enough for you. If it's the old time religion talking about Israel, it's, it, it ain't good enough for you plain and simple. But sometimes these songs reverberate or resound in our minds and we think, oh, this is part of what God wants me to do. No, no, no. Just because you have that does not mean, that's why we have to have our minds transformed because they come from Adam. <laughs> Most of everything that we have comes from Adam. And that's not what God can use in the spiritual life. He's going to teach us what he wants us to do. And then he's equipping us for what he wants us to do. He doesn't do, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to depend on you to do this for me. No, 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 he doesn't do that. He gives us everything we need to do uh, to serve him. That tells us automatically he's rejecting anything we bring. Point F, point F. 
we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. So if we're seeking to be justified in Christ, and we know what that means by the works of the law, that's what that means. What happens? What is the law going to show you? That's going to show you you're a sinner. It's through the law, as we already read in Romans 3, 3, uh, 20, we become conscious. We are conscious of sin. That's how we know we're sinners, because of the law. Well, there's other ways we know. God the Holy Spirit tells us in our hearts. He's the one that's trying to make this known to us. But he also brings in the law. The law says we're condemned. That's why it's called in 2 Corinthians, right, the ministry of condemnation and death. The minister, minister meaning it helps us uh, with our needs. What need do we know? We need to know we're dead before God. We need to know we're condemned before God. That we have a sin nature. And there's none righteous, etc., etc. That's 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 10. It's interesting that people don't see the Ten Commandments this way. Because if they saw it this way, they would turn to Christ. So that they could be justified. So that they would have life. And yet they turned that around and said, well, God, you're going to respect. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to respect my works. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do them with diligence and sincerity, and you will respect them, God. God is saying, no, I already, <laughs> I already told you you're dead. So it's arrogance. So raise our fist in God's face and say, yes, you will accept it. And God's saying, no, I, I won't. It is written. <laughs> okay. There is none righteous, not even one, not even you. So this last point, we're going to have to stop as time is departing from us. Um, point G, among the sinners, right? So in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. Right, that is like the Gentiles, like the ones they were separating from. Because now we're, seek, we're in Christ and we're seeking to obey uh, what we consider the law. So what does that make us do? In our, in our minds, devoid of the Spirit, it makes us separate from Gentiles. Because we're saying, these Gentile sinners, they're not like us. We, we have the law. You know, we're moral. We're not like them. But the very thing that they were doing was separating from the Gentiles. So if you are in Christ and you seek to, to be justified, in other words, you say, well, I'm in Christ, but and I got a new purpose, right? As Patty LaBelle said, they got a new purpose, but they don't have a new attitude. They need that new attitude. That's what they need to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Patty wasn't saying that. I'm saying that. So if they're looking, if they're in Christ and they're looking at the law, and what's the law going to tell them back? Well, you're a sinner. <laughs> Does that make Christ a sinner? No. They're going to be among the sinners. If That's going to be like the, like the ones they were trying to get away from, which is kind of counter. So hopefully, I, we'll talk about this more next week, and we'll continue with verse 18, which says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then 
I really would be a lawbreaker. So Paul is saying, man, the very thing that I understood in this age, I destroyed. My, my whole thing with being a Pharisee and as far as the law was concerned, blameless, a tribe of Benjamin, all that. And he says, I built all my life, all that. And now when I came to Christ, I said, I dropped it all. Dropped it all. And just want to be found in him. Not having the righteousness of my own, which comes from the law, but that which is my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's the standing that I want before God. The standing of the righteousness of Christ. It has nothing to do with the works of the law. Not only that, I'm in the new dispensation where I'm not under the law as a way of life. So... Even legitimate Jews who were saved under the law and continued to obey the law. Read Psalm 119. It's a good psalm to talk about how the spiritual life of the Israelite should have been. Yeah. Their meditations were God's law. Their delight was God's law. Their happiness was in the law. Everything for their whole life was described in the law. Paul said, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, stop, but let's continue this thought next week. We'll finish these points out and hopefully we get to see what the apostle and the, the spirit of truth is telling us through the apostle. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're grateful for your word that has been preserved for us so that in 2023 we can sit here and think about your word as the Holy Spirit gives us the meaning of your word on the inside of us. We thank you for that provision. We thank you for those who have joined and we pray that as we walk in this world that we will be the kind of witnesses that you seek those who worship in spirit and in truth we thank you for uh, those who are on this call their families extended families and we pray for word is truth uh, believers wherever they may be found believers even if they're not associated with this local church but that we all come to the knowledge of the truth of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the stature of Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.